0: Last week, we spoke about experiencing God's forgiveness in our lives. See, there are two truths. There are two truths that are a vital part of our walk with God, very vital. One is we have to understand that with genuine repentance of sin and full trust In the finished work on the cross, when Jesus died in our place, took our sin, and gave us his righteousness, we have to understand that our forgiveness in Christ is thorough, complete, final, sufficient, and takes care of everything in our life. So many people don't understand the complete forgiveness of God and how God not only forgives us, but gives us his righteousness. But then today we're going to look at the second part of what's a vital part of every one of our lives, our daily walk with God, our daily fellowship with Jesus, is not only the experiencing the forgiveness of God for our sins, but it's the experiencing of the forgiveness of others. And I believe that those are two truths that are a part of our life every day, a part of our life every day, experiencing God's forgiveness, but at the same time, experiencing through Christ, the forgiveness of other people. You say, Pastor, how important is that? Well, I want you to look at this scripture on the screen. In Matthew chapter 6, In teaching us to pray, guess what Jesus talked about? He said, it's on the screen, and forgive us our sins. He said, now, this is prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he said, now, let me tell you now, part of your prayer life is, Lord, forgive me just like I forgive others. And do you know when he finished the Lord's prayer... It's called the model prayer, and it's a model of how we pray. You know what he stopped and emphasized? He didn't talk about daily bread, he didn't talk about not being leading to temptation. When he got through teaching us to pray, he went right back and in verse 14, look at what he said. If you forgive men their trespasses, hey, he finished teaching us how to pray. And he talked to us about forgiveness. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. You say, well, wait a minute, Brother Fred, my forgiveness is not by works. Hey, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, how can God forgive you? Because you've got sin in your life. And so it's obvious that at the heart of our walk with God is really knowing the depth of the forgiveness of God when he washes our sins away and declares us righteous. But it's also knowing the importance of living a life of forgiveness. I'm so glad that Peter, Peter asked a lot of questions that he shouldn't ask, but he did ask a right question one time. And he asked the Lord about forgiveness. Peter did. Over in um, Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17. I want you to look at these on the screen. Jesus had taught about how we are, if if a brother sins against us, how we're to deal with it. All right, it says here, moreover, if your brother sins against you, and a brother is anybody that can sin against you, not your physical brother, not even your spiritual Christian brother. If your brother sins against you, go tell him, His fault between you and him alone. Now, would you underline that? If your brother sins against you, the way Baptists interpret that verse is go tell everybody about it. That is not what it says. Would you please look at that? If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him. Don't broadcast it. You are not the communicator. Somebody said there are a number of ways of of communication, telephone and telebaptist. I'm telling you, you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be between you and him. But what if he doesn't hear you? Well, what if he doesn't hear you? If your brother sins against you, go tell him uh, his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. You've built the bridge of forgiveness. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. But he goes on and says, but if he will not hear you. If he keeps on sinning against you, if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, that's so important because if it's just you and him, you say, this is what I said. No. He says, no, this is what you said. No. If you've got two witnesses with you, they say, no, this is what you said and this is what you said. So if he won't hear you, Take two people with you, and once again, try to bring about forgiveness. Well, what if he won't hear that? Look at the next verse. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. So obviously, this was a case where the sin involved people in the church, and every effort had been made to resolve it. The man went to him, and then two went to him, or her. They didn't receive it. So finally, it got down this: if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, and the church says, "Okay, this is what you need to do, the body of believers." But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. I know it's basically they say we well, just don't have anything to do with him, isolate him till he repents, isolate her to repent, call church discipline. Well, it was in that context now, and I just said that to tell you what Peter did. Peter took off on that, and in chapter uh, 18, verses 21 and 22, look at what Peter asked. Now, we're talking about experiencing the forgiveness of others. Peter came to him and said, Lord, I just heard what you said about forgiving my brother and then how did the process. He said, let me ask you something, though, now. Let me get it clear, Lord. How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Seven times? It's pretty good. Peter said, man, I'm I'm stretching it. Jesus said to him, Peter, how do you put a limit on forgiveness? How many times have I forgiven you, Peter? How many times have you come to me and said, Lord, I sinned against you? I blew it. He said, how many times have I forgiven you? Do you want to limit to seven times? And so Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, Peter, seven times, up to seven, but 70 times seven. Basically, he was saying, you just keep on forgiving. That's going to be your lifestyle. That's that's not an act. It's a lifestyle. 70 times times seven. And then here's where it really gets tough. Jesus gave probably the most disturbing teaching of all the parables that he gave. Now he gave some tough parables about the wicked servants that hid the talents and, and the people that didn't do what did. but boy, he, he gets to this thing on forgiveness. And I am telling you, Jesus you talk about strong. You talk about laying down the gauntlet. Every time I read, I read this yesterday, and you know what I said when it was over? Reading it, I said, well, Lord, help me is all I could say. Now, I want you to look at it. And, 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 and you, are you, this is Jesus now. This is not an opinion. It begins in chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. Now, I know that's a number of verses to read but I want you to get the impact of it. And then I'm going to talk to you about this matter of forgiving others. Okay. All right. This is what he said. All right. After he told Peter to forgive 70 times seven, this is, he said, he said, Peter, let, let me, let me, let me illustrate what I'm talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. In other words, his servants owed that king some money. All right. Read on. And so in verse 25, and when he had begun to, 24, he began to settle accounts. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money. All right, read on. He was not able to pay. His master commanded him to be sold into debtor's prison with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. Well, he's never going to pay him in prison. And so here was a man who had a debt he could not pay. And Jesus made it impossible for it to be paid. So now, here is the underlying truth of that. Jesus said, you owe me, you owe me 10,000 talents. There's no way you could ever pay for your sins. No way you could ever do it. It is humanly impossible. And so look look what happened. Then the servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Well, he couldn't do that. In in 10 lifetimes, he couldn't make 10,000 talents. But the master knew that. He knew that, but he had mercy on him. Hey, by the way, would you underline that word mercy? The servant fell down. It says here in the next verse, the master, the servant fell down before him, and the servant fell down him before him and cried for mercy. And it said that the master had mercy on him. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Boy, that is awesome. He had a man. This he had a debt he could not pay. But the ma- he went to the master and cried out for mercy, and the master had compassion on him, and he forgave him the debt. I mean, he erased 10,000 talents. He, he erased 10,000 sins. He washed away all of the debt. Well, you say, buddy, this guy's never going to be the same. You talking about God I know, uh, know what mercy is? We'll read on in the, in, in, in the passage. Look at the next verse. But that servant who'd been forgiven went out and found one of his felon servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's probably like twenty-five dollars. Owed him twenty-five dollars. He laid his hands on him. Now this is the same guy that had been had been forgiven ten thousand talents, laid his hands on him, took him by the throat. Give me a break. Said, pay me what you owe me. Look what happens. This fellow servant fell down at his feet and said, he begged him, listen, have patience with me. I I can pay you all. And he could have paid him back. I'll pay you all. Well, look what happened. He would not. And he but went and threw him into prison until he would pay his debt. And I said, time out, Lord. Now, time out. Here is a man who owed 10,000 talents, went to the king, and the king had compassion on him and forgave him of all 10,000 talents and set him free. He owed him nothing. He could go on with his life. He was blessed. He had experienced the grace and mercy, quote, unquote, in in, in, an analogy of God. But then he had this other man that owed him $25, and he went to him, grabbed him by the throat, threatened him, and said, I, I can't pay you. He said, all right, and threw him in jail. You said, I have never seen such an absurd, ridiculous thing. Forgiven $10,000 wouldn't forgive a man of $25. Well, guess what happened? When the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they came to their master. They came to the king and said, you know what? You know that guy you forgave of 10,000 talents? You had mercy on him and you forgave him all. He went over there and somebody owed him 25. And did you know he grabbed him by the throat, threatened him, and threw him in jail? And he is in jail right now, separated from his family because he owed that man $25. He wouldn't even have mercy on him and give him time for 25 $25. Look what happened. And then his master, master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant. Now, Jesus gave this parable, y'all. You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. You came to me and you asked for mercy and compassion and I forgave you. I can see you and I load, laden, laden down with our sins, going to Jesus and saying, oh, Jesus, I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. I know that. But I I, I know there's nothing I can do to pay for my sin. There, I know I could never make pay, uh, do enough to pay for my sin. But I cry out for your mercy. I ask for forgiveness. I ask you, Lord, to spare me. And, and Jesus has mercy on us. And he forgives us. But yet, then somebody sins against us, and we won't forgive him. He said, the master, after he'd called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. All right. Now, look at the rest of that where it, it gets kind of uh, strong. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant? Shouldn't you have forgiven him just like I forgave you? See, Jesus went into great detail about this thing of forgiveness. And then look at the next verse, boy. And this is the one, and when I read it, I said, Lord, help me. The master was angry, delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due. Let me tell you something. That is a picture of when a person has experienced genuinely the forgiveness of God. And Jesus Christ has washed their sins away. And they're living a life of the freedom of forgiveness. But yet at the same time, some will hurt one, will sin against them. And they will not forgive them. And then when they refuse to do that, they're not obeying God. And what it says here, they're turned over to the tormentors. Let me tell you what that means. There's no torment like bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, and vengeance. There's no tormentors like that. You're talking about tormented people. It's bitter people. It's angry people. It's unforgiving people. Now, a Christian can battle forgiveness, but in this world, I want to tell you what we're seeing right now. It used to be that um, now when people get fired or when the husband or wife's going to leave. Have you noticed now how they get bitter and they get angry? And finally it festers and they were fired from the post office and they go down and shoot all the people in the post office. And then there was a professor that failed him in grade and they go back and they shoot the professor. And I'm thinking about the man whose wife had left him and he went to the bank right down here at the corner of Schillinger's and, um, uh, and, um, uh, Cottage Hill, that PNC bank, and his wife was in the teller there, and he walked up right into the window and shot her right in the head. He said, Brother Fred, how do people get to the place that they're so angry, so full of hate, that they commit horrible crimes? It happens every day. Read the paper every day. It happens every day. We hear so much about domestic violence All about the pros and all that stuff. Folks, listen. Let me tell you something. At the heart of your walk with God is receiving the free gift of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ and being forgiven. But at the same time, when someone sins against you, just as God has forgiven you the same grace that he gave you, the same compassion that he gave you, then you ask Jesus through you to forgive them so that you won't be bitter and angry, and revengeful. Oh, but you know, Brother Fred, you say, you, you talk like forgiveness is easy. I didn't say that. It cost Jesus his life on the cross to forgive you. I didn't say that. Forgiveness is hard because the pain is real. It's real. And But you've got to remember this. Forgiveness doesn't mean approval. Jesus forgave me of every one of my sins, and he didn't approve of one of them. When you forgive a person, the hurt was real. The pain was real. But you make a choice. You don't feel like it. You make a choice to forgive them, even though you don't approve. Now, folks, let me tell you something. I hate to think of how the Spirit of God is grieved in churches all over Mobile and grieved in churches all over America because people are not walking in forgiveness. They have been hurt, and they just can't get released. It may be something that happened before they ever got involved in the church, but they're still carrying it around on their back. And I mean, how grieved the Holy Spirit is and how quenched he is and how the work of God is hindered. When we do not walk in the forgiveness of God. Well, I, I read an article on rigorous forgiveness. How that some people had taken serious this thing of what's involved in really forgiving somebody. And as I read it, they said there were four processes that you went through in forgiving people. And I read it, and then I reread it, and I said, you know now, I believe even though they didn't use a lot of biblical terms, I said that lines up with the way Jesus responded to people in the New Testament. And sure enough, as I looked at each one of them, and then I would go to the Word of God and I would see Jesus doing exactly what was said that needed to be done. If you work through the process and forgiveness and reconciliation becomes a reality. Here were the four, steps, four processes. One of them was called preemptive mercy. Preemptive mercy. You have to go through that stage. Then there's the judgment stage when someone sinned against you. Preemptive mercy, then judgment, and then confession and penitence, confession and repentance. And then the last one was reconciliation and retrust. And I said, you know, you don't know you're going through this, but really, uh, that's exactly all a part of this thing of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is just not forgiveness. It's a matter of reconciliation and retrust, which is very difficult. Well, now, what is preemptive mercy? I'm going to tell you what it is and show you two examples of it. Preemptive mercy is this. The person we realize that forgiveness is not an act, it's an attitude forgiveness is not an act. It's a lifestyle. Forgive me this day. Give me this day, my daily bread. All right. Forgive me of my sins daily as I forgive those who sin against me. So forgiveness is not an act. It's not a one-time thing in your life. It's an attitude. And when you have preemptive mercy, this is the way you deal with people. Well, you know, they sinned against me, but you know what? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. I've sinned against other people before. And so, you know, I need to be careful here. I feel very strong, but I mean, I gotta realize that 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 that, that we all at times have sinned against others and, and 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 another thing I have to realize in dealing with people who've sinned against us is that uh you know, I've got to deal with sin my, myself the rest of my life till I get to heaven. I mean, I'm not going to be perfect. I don't have to sin. I don't want to sin. Jesus gives me the power not to sin. But until I get to heaven, I'm not going to be free from this battle with sin. So we kind of come to the person that is, needs forgiveness by the fact that, hey, we're all sinners. We've got to deal with sin ourselves till we get to heaven. And so, therefore, I don't want to be self-righteous, and I don't want to uh, feel superior. I just got to realize that, hey, we're all dealing with sin. And and, and, uh, you you could have that do well, but for the grace of God, that could be me who did the sinning. Now, did you know that's exactly the way Jesus dealt with people? He dealt with sinners with mercy. He dealt with Now, the most famous passage is John chapter 8, verse 2. Let's look at that for a moment. And I want to show you what I've just talked about, where Jesus dealt with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And it could easily have been a, a man. But what they did, they didn't treat them the same back then. It, it was in women that they punished. It's kind of like the Muslim religion today. You know, the men live like hell and treat the women like hell. But anyway, I'm not going there. I just did, but I shouldn't have. But anyway. <laughs> all right. We're going to look at this. real that Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. We'll go, I'm going to read right on through it. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, let's go, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in, the, in, in adultery, the very act. Go ahead. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. Thank God I'm not living in the Old Testament, and thank God I'm not living under the law. Hallelujah. If we stoned everybody that committed adultery, we'd have a population shortage. (laughs) But that's exactly what they did. They stoned them. All right, go on. Because Jesus said, we're not going to be under the law, we're going to be under grace. This they said, testing him. They might have something to which to accuse him. They can say, Jesus, see, he's, he's off base. He's not even willing to do what Moses said to do. He's not willing to obey the Old Testament law. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not even hear them. All right? So when he continued, they continued asking him, now I want you to listen to this. He raised up and said to them, okay, guys. He that is without sin among you, you throw the first rock. Boy, he shifted it from that woman, and he said to them, you're all sinners, and if you don't have sin, you go ahead and you throw the stone, okay? I had a friend of mine, you know what he used to carry in his pocket? He used to carry a smooth rock in his pocket all the time. Why would you carry that? He said, i just put my hand in my pocket, and I'd feel that stone. And I just felt like I didn't have any right to throw rocks at anybody. But, you know, would well you say, well, Jesus, then he was soft on sin. No. Again, he stooped down and rolled on the ground. Read on. Those who heard it, when he said those without sin cast the first stone, being convicted because they all knew they were sinners by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And look what it says. When Jesus raised himself up and saw her and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Have they, no one condemned you? By the way, the only one that could have condemned her was Jesus. Because he was the only one who had no sin. So look at what he said. She said, no one, Lord. Now, what did Jesus say? You see, he had mercy, but he called for obedience and repentance. She said, no one's accused me, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you because I've come for grace and I've come to die for your sins. Go, now wait a minute, and keep on living like you were living. No. He said to her, you go, don't you sin anymore. Don't you go back to that kind of lifestyle. And then he said this, because he said, then let me spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness. You're going to walk in the light of life. Jesus dealt with her with mercy. He wasn't soft on sin. But I'm going to tell you right now, before you get self-righteous and get so superior, well, they don't deserve forgiveness Let me just tell you one thing. Just reflect a little bit on where God has brought you from if you're saved and you're forgiven. And you'll find that you have a whole lot of mercy. There was one other place where I saw this preemptive mercy in Luke 15. I want you all to see this. You'll love this. Did you know that tax collectors and sinners love Jesus? (laughs) Did you know that? Look at it. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to hear him. Why? Because he offered them hope. He offered them mercy. He offered them grace. He offered them forgiveness. Then the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And you go on. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's why Jesus came was to save sinners. So he tells them the story, and here it is about the a parable, saying the man had ninety nine sheep. Let me put it up real. Which having hundred sheep loses one does not leave the ninety nine in the wilderness, go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Ninety nine are safe, but here's the lost one. He goes in and when he found it, I love this. Glory to God! I'm about to have a spell, and and he found it, and he put that little sheep around his shoulders. Whoo! I remember the time. When I was lost, separated from God, and I wasn't seeking Jesus, but he was seeking me. And when he finds you, you're all messed up. You're not able to walk on your own. But he picks you up and puts you on his shoulders. That's an example. Of mercy and of grace, but he didn't leave the sheep lost. He brought it back and said he was a, he was a safe sheep then. He said, "Theres joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. All right, He called the neighbors. Well, let's go on into the second thing, and we're moving good. we're going to be able to finish this. I didn't know if we would be able to or not. The second way you go in the process of forgiveness is you have preemptive mercy. You deal with people in mercy. But then, listen to me. See, you got there, there's another thing you go through, and it's called judgment. It's called judgment. All right, when somebody sins against you or sins, period, in the church, it is a time to reevaluate. And this is what you do. You say, well, now this person sinned against me or this person sinned against the church. And you say, well... Now, is this just uh, one act in this person's life where they, you know, sin makes people stupid, by the way. You know that, don't you? Was this just one stupid act where, you know, he or she were not, they just gave place to the devil and the devil took place of it and knocked them down? Is just, just one uh, act in their life or is this, is this a pattern? Is this their lifestyle? And see, you know, uh, we're very quick sometimes when a person has been walking with God and been faithful to God, and then they get knocked off their feet. But up until that time, they've had a good walk with God. And then we pretty much want to isolate them because, but we got to say, but wait a minute, That, that, that was not their pattern. That was not their lifestyle. And even though it was wrong, and, 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 and they need to understand it's wrong, then I need to be sure that I look at the whole picture of that person's life instead of that one incident in that person's life. Is their lifestyle a pattern of this sin, or is this quite an, an interruption or just kind of a in uh, their life? You know. Um, If, if this is just kind of a blimp or a horrendous in, interference in a person's life, then we need to take that in mind. And we need to deal with them on that basis. But as we question them and as we deal with them and we go through the process of forgiving, now listen to me carefully, uh, and we question Is this their character? Is this their lifestyle? When we do that, in forgiving them and in extending to them forgiveness, which we do, we do not, we have to be sure that in our forgiveness, we're not lowering our standard. For example, somebody sins and this is not their pattern or lifestyle, but it's serious. So, Knowing that it's not that We do extend to them forgiveness and mercy, which you do, whether they do or not. But you do. But at the same time, you don't lower your standard and say, well, that was not a big deal. It wasn't anything to be over-concerned about. That was just one time. No, 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 no. There has to be a judgment phase in saying this was wrong. Why was it wrong? Is it a pattern of their life? And you take that into it as you work through forgiveness. But in, in forgiveness, you never lower, give the idea that you lower the standard against sin. Because that would be, that would be called cheap grace is what it would be. You, you, you keep the level the same, but you take each individual as to where they are on the journey. And you put judgment there in proportion to what, uh, judge their sin in proportion to their lifestyle. And I think that's very important, very important. Now, if it's been a lifestyle of sin and that's been their pattern, then there's a lot of things that's got to be d- going on here about repentance. All right, here's the third way in the process. Okay, so you deal with the person in mercy, preemptive mercy, like Jesus did the woman caught in the act of adultery, uh, like he did it with public sinners. But that you face the fact that this was sin, And you judge it, and you call it sin, and you don't lower the standard, but you look at this person's life. Was this just an interruption, or is it a lifestyle? Was it something that happened, or is it a a pattern of deception? Okay? And that helps you work through this matter of forgiveness. Then here's the third thing. And that is confession. Oh, by the way, let, let me show you some examples of judgment, all right? Luke 22, all right, this is how Jesus dealt with people in judgment. He, he forgave them, but he dealt with All right, all right look, look at what he said to Peter. All right, so Jesus was tough on Peter, but, but he knew this wasn't going to be Peter's lifestyle. He said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Jesus had told him, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die, and God's going to raise me from the dead. Peter called Jesus over by himself called him over by himself, said, Lord, I heard what you said, that you're going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to nail you to a cross, and you're going to die, and you're going to rose again. He said, that is not my plan. Our plan is that you're going to go right ahead and overthrow the religious traditions of the day, and you're going to build a kingdom on this earth, and we're going to be part of it, and we're going to be uh, right there with you as you establish your kingdom on earth. And he said, you're not going to go to Jerusalem, and you're not going to die. Well, Peter was sinning. And then look at what Jesus said to him. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But then Jesus goes on and gives him hope. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was pretty tough on Peter. By the way, in the few verses before that, Jesus had asked him who they thought he was. And you know what Peter said? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Peter made that great confession. Jesus said, God showed you that. And then Peter went right on when Jesus told him he was going to the cross and die and said, it's not going to be. He called him aside by himself. It ain't going to be. Jesus said, listen, that's not you. That's the devil. And he's sifting you as wheat. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. Um. God will, you're going to be all right because I'm going to pray for you. Okay, so that was an example. In Matthew 16:21 through 23, uh, uh, he gave Peter messed up again. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. All right, look at the next verse. Then Peter said, Took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far from, be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen. And Jesus rebuked him, and, and of course, he judged Peter, what Peter said, and he didn't act like it wasn't important. Okay, after you get through the judgment stage, there's preemptive mercy, there's judgment. Then there's confession and repentance. All right? You know, when you're really on the road to, you, you've already made a choice to forgive them now. But you know when you're really on the road to healing? It's when the person who has sinned gets honest about their sin. They quit blaming it on somebody else, they quit blaming it on their circumstances. They take full responsibility and say, You know, I have greatly sinned against God. And I have greatly sinned against you. And I want you to know there is no excuse for my sin. It was my choice. I gave into my flesh, and I take full responsibility for my sin. I blame no one else, and I am confessing my sin to you and asking your forgiveness, and I am confessing my sin to God and asking his forgiveness. I, I know that I don't deserve it, but I just am asking for mercy and grace. The hardest thing for people to do in this world today is to admit That they are responsible for their own sin. Your wife did not make you sin. Nobody can make you sin. You're the one who makes the choice to sin. Friend of mine in his counseling process, people would come to see him, and sometimes be a man and woman. He'd always have somebody in there when it was a lady, and he would. uh, he, he'd let him talk for 15 minutes. He said, Now, now that you've finished lying, tell me the truth. That's exactly what he'd say every time. He'd just let him talk. He said, All right, you got all the lies out. Come on, tell me the truth. I have seen that a thousand times. <laughs> well, you know, I know, but it wasn't my fault. Hey, come on, man. You're guilty, right? You're guilty. You're guilty and so you repent and you accept responsibility and you ask God's forgiveness and you ask their forgiveness and then you're in a position, hey, let me tell you who I love to read about because I'm going to tell you what, he got right with God and, and by the way, we sang about him in a sycamore tree when we were little kids, Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree, uh, I, I love about, it. hey, it's going to be on the screen, look at uh, 19 verse 1, here's, here's a guy that took responsibility for his sin. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich because he was a big-time thief, okay? And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the crowd, for he was of short statue. He, was, all right, he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Read on. And Jesus came to the place. He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus. Hurry up and get down from that tree because today I'm going to go to your house and stay. Time out, Jesus. He's a crook. Jesus said, You think I didn't know that? So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Read on. He made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. (laughs) When they saw it, they all complained, (laughs) saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Aren't you glad that Jesus has something to do with sinners? <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> then, Zach, but look at him. Spirit of God was convicted, Zacchaeus. I don't know what all Jesus said to him, but man, he got under conviction, and he knew he had sinned, that he was a thief and a robber, and he didn't. What he said, well, he didn't say to Jesus. Well, all the rest of the tax collectors steal, and all the rest of them cheat. I'm just doing what I got to do to survive. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's confession and repentance. He stood and said to the Lord, I give half of my goods to to, to, to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation and he knew he had, I'm going to give them four times more than I took from them. Well, buddy, I want to tell you something. Zacchaeus said to Jesus, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, I'm a thief. And a lot of these riches I got by being a thief. But I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to give half of it away. And anybody that I cheated, I'm not going to give them back what I took. I'm going to give them four times. I'll tell you one thing, that boy got right with God. I'll tell you what, he got his sins under the blood of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said to him? Today salvation has come to his house. He is a son of Abraham. Well, here's the last one. There's preemptive mercy. There's judgment. Then there's confession and repentance. All of these were involved with Jesus and people. And then there's reconciliation and retrust. Judgment has been made. Sin has been called sin. But repentance is evident And the offended and the offender, the offender and the offended start coming together. So what's happened here? All right. Person sins. The person who he sinned against is dealing with him in mercy. But at the same time, he's judged this man's act, made him fully aware of his sin and made him responsible for it. He didn't want him to think it was no big deal. He didn't want to think by his forgiveness He was uh, uh, being soft on sin. He didn't do that. He judged it. This man accepted judgment of God on it. And then he repented. He repented. He took full responsibility for his sin. And then this having been done, now the person who sinned against the person now through uh, mercy and judging the sin and repentance and confession, They're starting coming together. And it looks like there could be reconciliation and retrust. But now here's the problem. The reconciliation is the easy part. Because God's reconciled you to himself. He can reconcile you to the sin. But the tough part is the retrust, learning to trust him again. And I'm going to tell you, trust does not have to be immediate because, you know, there are consequences for sin. God forgives sin, but there are consequences, and sometimes you suffer the consequences. No, you always suffer the consequences, and whatever you sow, you reap. God forgives you, but you still have to pull the crop up. But if you've gone through this thing of, of, of preemptive mercy and judgment and repentance and uh, confession, then you are coming now toward the act of we're going to reconcile and trust is going to be restored. But it takes time for trust to be restored. doesn't have to be immediate, but as you are reconciled and the offender, the offended has forgiven the offender and forgiveness is real. And now you can communicate. You can share things in life together. In other words, that there's no longer a big wall there. Then at that point, there comes the process of retrust. Okay, I'm going to close with this. You know the greatest example of that? This moves my heart. Whew. We have such a great God. You know, do you you know Peter? He told Jesus he would go and die for him. And when Jesus was beaten by Pilate and had the cross on his back and was getting ready to go to Golgotha, Peter three times said, I don't know him. Now, wait a minute, Peter, wait a minute. How many times has Jesus got to help you? He said, Satan's going to sift you wheat, but he's going to pray for you. And, and, and he said, when, when you, I, I'm going to restore you. And, but Peter said, I don't know the man. And then somebody says, yeah, you talk just like him. And this other person said, I saw you with him. And he cursed. And I don't know what he said, but he, he, he just cursed and said, now look, get off my back. I don't know him, and I have nothing to do with him. And the rooster crowed. And the Bible says, Peter. All it all came crashing in on Peter. Everything Jesus had told him was true, and he was a broken man. Oh, a broken man. And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. I wonder what it was like. I wonder what it was like. But Jesus rose from the dead. Now here's where I get blessed. Mark 16, 7. Jesus is risen. He's appeared to the ladies. He says to them, go back to the disciples. Go tell to his disciples. Now look at those words. And who? Say it. Peter was a disciple. Why did she just go... Why didn't Jesus say, just go tell the disciples? I'll tell you why. Because Peter knew that he was not worthy to be a disciple. He had denied the very one who had died for him. And if Jesus had not called his name, Peter would have felt excluded and would have never gone to be with Jesus and to meet him. He said, but do you be sure that Peter knows that I wanted him to know this? Because I want to meet with him. Go tell his disciples and Peter. All right, so now I'm going to wind it up. So they get together. Peter heard, they were out fishing and he heard it was Jesus. And he pulled his coat around him and swam to the bank. And and Jesus had cooked some breakfast. and, And then he took Peter aside. Now get this. Here's reconciliation. Go tell Peter. I know what he did. But I've forgiven him. Here's that's reconciliation. But here's retrust, he said. Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter said. John 21, Lord, uh, you know I love you. It's on the screen. You know I love you. He said, Well, feed my lambs. Well, Jesus asked him another time. I mean, he said, he said to him the second time, Come on now, Peter. Do you love me? He said, do You Yes, Lord, I love you. He said, well, tend my sheep. And then he asked him the third time. He said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time. He said, do you you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Is it interesting that Peter denied him three times, and Jesus three times led him in a period of retrust? Do you really love me, then you do what I've commissioned you to do. And there was not only reconciliation, but retrust. And by the way, in the next verse, you know what Jesus told him? He said, "Peter, you're going to do well, but let me just remember that, remind you, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. Day's going to come when they're going to take you out and crucify you just like they did me." But then he said to Peter, just follow me. This he spoke signifying the death he would, by which he would glorify God. And when he spoke this, he said, follow me. He said, Peter, it's going to cost you your life, but we're reconciled. And I trust you. And then Peter went on Pentecost, and the rest is history. You know, in forgiveness, I hope we have mercy, preemptive mercy, Then we deal thoroughly with sin. Judging it. But then don't stay there. Figuring out where that person is in their journey. And then give them an opportunity to really get honest about their sin and repent. And then once that's done, we just move right on in to reconciliation. Because that's the gold. That's the gold. Not just to forgive the person, and then go on your way. The goal is to forgive them and be reconciled to them and be able to trust them. Instead of exiling them, you have a relationship. You say, that ain't easy, Brother Fred. Guess what? (laughs) I've been doing this for 58 years. It ain't easy. The hardest time I ever had to forgive was, it, it was, it was the hardest I've ever been through, but I did, I didn't, God did. And I really got free. The individual that was the offender knew that I'd forgiven him, but I never saw him. Years passed. Now, I was in Walmart up here on the corner, and I heard a voice saying, Brother Fred. And I looked over there. And there he was. And you know what I did? It wasn't me. I went over there and said to him, hugged him, said, I love you. And he looked up at me and said, I'm so sorry for what the devil caused me to do. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, look, I love you. I told him that. And and truly, all the hurt that had been there had long been gone. But what if I hadn't allowed God and I'd stayed bitter and angry? Friend, I'd have been tormented. And all I got to say to you is this. There's the freest person in the world is the person who has God's forgiveness, but who has also forgiven others. And there's no person living or dead that you haven't forgiven.